Good morning. Good to see everyone here. Thanks for being here. And also, uh, thanks for joining at home. So thankful that you're a part of this too. We are continuing on in our series, Who's Your One? This is our, our second week looking at this. And uh, as Nick has explained and John talked about too, is that we're looking at who is that person around us that does not know Jesus, does not walk with Jesus, and how can we come alongside, reminding, being reminded that people are not projects, People are people that Jesus loves, that God sent his one and only son for. And uh, just as someone came alongside you at some point, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to do the same. Now, when we talk about a one, last week we defined and framed in to give you direction and ideas of who your one might be. Because we want to be intentional about this. And we're going to be in Luke 5 today. So if you want to get a head start, you can look at Luke 5. Uh, but three defining factors or realities that we're talking about when it comes to our one. The first one being this is someone who's not walking with Jesus. So this may be someone who has, at some point in their life, uh, followed Jesus, uh, participated in faith, been a part of a church, whatever it may be, but they're currently not walking with Jesus. Or it's someone who has never had a relationship, never really had exposure. It can be anyone on that range, that spectrum. The second thing we talk about is being local to your community because we want you to be in proximity to this person. We want you to be able to invest and share life together. It's great that you're praying for and you have family or friends around the country or around the world that you'd like to know, have know Jesus, uh, but this is about being intentional life on life. And in that same way that you rearrange your life to spend time with this person. So you should be praying for your neighbor, your coworker, but this is about investing and spending time with this person. So it is this life on life. It's how Jesus did ministry. It's how the apostles did ministry. This is a way that we walk alongside the people. And so a couple tools that we gave you last week, this all starts with prayer. Uh, this is not our power that we're walking in, but we gave uh, an opportunity to grab some prayer guides. There's just a handful of these sitting around the church. There's some at a table out back, and there may be some uh, in uh, different areas here. Uh, but there is a prayer guide here. So every day there's an opportunity to pray for your one. And, uh, and so here's one for someone later too. We also gave a bookmark, and there's still a bunch of these back there. So please grab one of these on your way out uh, with the scripture passages that we're praying. And then plus a card that you can tear off and put the name of your one on there. And you can hang them up back in the corner there just outside in the lobby. You'll see some other names hanging back there. And so we want to be praying together. I want to pray with you. So if you want to put the, just the first name, your one on there, you can do that. And a couple of people have put them up here as well. And we'll be praying for those individuals. So a couple of tools for you. Also, you may have noticed uh, the tree. The tree is back. Anyone remember the tree from a couple years ago? Yeah, if you're around a couple years ago. So what we did is a couple years ago is every time someone received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, started walking with Jesus, we had them come forward and to turn a bulb as a profession of faith. They, they already profess faith, but just as a public profession of faith. And so we're gonna do the same thing. So maybe that's your one, maybe that's you. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior recently, uh, we wanna celebrate with you and, uh, and have you turn a bulb just as a symbol of your relationship, really the light of Jesus transforming your life. So we're just praying like it was a couple years ago, uh, how it was just lit up, and, uh, and we're trusting God that he's gonna do a work in that. So... So Luke 5, we're there today. Uh, we're going to be looking at a familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, if you've been around the church, if you've heard stories growing up, uh, this passage will be familiar. And so as we look at that in just a little bit, I'm going to ask you to put yourself in the story, to really listen, to hear it, 
uh, for maybe the first time again with new eyes. But as I was reflecting this week, um, I, uh, I found myself... Someone left like a Lego or something up here. All right, I don't know who was playing with Legos in between service. Sorry, that was totally distracting. I should have just picked that up and put that aside, but uh, I had to verbalize that for some reason. Uh, so... <laughs> All right, so this week, that's where I was at. This week, I found myself at the, the fire station. There was training one night, and so I went down and hung out with the firefighters as I served as a chaplain. And, uh, and while I was standing outside with a number of the firefighters, uh, tones went off. The alarms went off. And the radios were going off and calling out the call. And so me being just new in the last nine months there, I was just, I'm standing there as they're going off, and everyone just goes, Vroom. So there I am outside the station going like, all right, I'm by myself. And... Uh, so I walked into the garage, and uh, as I'm walking in, one of the captains looked at me and says, Chris, are you coming with us? I'm like, I have never ridden in a fire truck. Yes, I am coming with you. <laughs> so he's like, go down and get in the engine. And, uh, and so I ran down and got in and, and uh, <laughs> pulled out of the garage, and we're racing through town, sirens blaring, lights on, and I'm just in there going, this is awesome. This is so cool. And so we uh, just flew through town, cars are parting, and we got to the place where they were called to. And as I thought about that, uh, that evening, I really thought about three words of three things that I observed that evening while I was with the firefighters. And these are the three words that I thought about. I thought about their response, I thought about their readiness, and I thought about their resolve. The response, like I said, I was standing there just flat-footed, just like, where's everyone going? I mean, of course, I knew where they were going, but I was, I did not respond when those tones went off. Like, they immediately took off. And so I was thinking about that of like, as a follower of Jesus, what is my response when I hear the word of God? Like, do I just let it sit there and I just stand flat-footed, kind of like I did at the fire station? Or do I respond to it? Am I allowing the spirit of God to move in me and through me and to change me as a follower of Jesus? I also thought about the readiness that night, is that the trucks were set ready to pull out of the garage. All the gear was loaded. They were ready for whatever call, their turnout gear, boots ready, just hopping in and hopping in the trucks. They were ready. How ready am I with the gospel? I mean, we're called to be ready, to give an answer at all times. It's just to be ready with it on our lips. How ready am I to share what Jesus has done in my life and what Jesus wants to do for others? And I also thought about the resolve. Is that as they just flew down the road, I mean, cars are parting, and they're on this mission, and they hopped out of the trucks and, and ran into the building. How, again, just focused am I? Because life can pull my attention a million different ways, just like yours. And how focused am I? How, what kind of resolve do I have when it comes to walking through life? I mean, is it there? And so as we walk through this series, I... I pray that today as we think about these three words and as we move forward, we would be a church and we would be a people who move in these three ways. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17. And again, I encourage you, if you know this story, just to engage into it like you're hearing it for the first time. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. <clears throat> and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on the mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. 
when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking of, to themselves, themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Let's pause in prayer as we reflect on the word. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the faith of these individuals in this story. God, we thank you for the willingness of Jesus to forgive sin and, Lord, to bring about healing. Lord, today as we just briefly look at this narrative, as we consider what this could look like in our own life, God, may your spirit move in us. Lord, may we be amazed, may people around us be amazed at the work that you do. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to share, to set people before you. We pray this all in your strong and powerful name. Amen. So as I think about this scene, I think about just the amazement and the shock and the surprise that took place in this scenario of the people coming to the door and there's not being room to get in. And so just the roof opening up and seeing this person lowered before Jesus. I mean, it's a scenario, it's a situation that would have brought surprise to all of them. But I love these friends and what we can learn from their example. And just as we looked at these three words earlier, we want to look at them again. The first word being respond, that these friends, they brought their friend to Jesus. They responded to a need. They were alert and aware of the need. Yes, it was a physical need. And they knew their friend needed Jesus. They knew that Jesus was there healing the sick, as the passage said. So, of course, they took their friend to Jesus because Jesus is the one that would do that. Now, they brought him expecting healing. And this is important to take our physical needs before Jesus. In fact, if you look at your own prayers or the way we pray here or even in some of the prayer groups you're in, I imagine many of your prayers are focused on healing or the physical. These are really good and important prayers. Please do not mistake what I'm saying here. We need to pray this way. But for every cancer healed, every sickness that a person gets well from, every virus, every disease, everything that someone is healed from physically, I believe the Lord does a work, that person is still going to die. Right? It's a temporary healing. And this is important because it changes people's lives, physical healing. I've witnessed it. You've witnessed it. This man in this story who was able to walk, his life was changed. So this is important. But Jesus recognized not only the physical, but also the spiritual. 
Notice how he healed in the order. In verse 20, it says this. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. He started with the internal healing. He started with sin. And I'm sure the friends were going like, ah, that's great, but we brought him for the physical part. But Jesus knew what was most important, and he was teaching this. And then second, in verse 24, he says this, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So it's important to pray for both, but Jesus is concerned first with the heart, first with salvation. He's also concerned about the physical. So Jesus responds to the spiritual. And so when we pray, we depend on the Father to bring the healing. We set our friends before Jesus for the physical and the spiritual. The second thing is readiness. They acted with expectancy. If they didn't expect Jesus to do anything, they wouldn't have gone to the effort. They wouldn't have taken them to the house. They wouldn't have gone up to the roof, opened up the roof, destroyed someone's home to put their friend before Jesus. They responded because they believed that Jesus would do something. They were expectant. Catherine Booth said this. She said, faith is inseparable from expectations. Where there is real faith, there is always expectation. So what is it? that you expect? What is it that I expect? When we pray for our ones, when we talk about our ones, when we walk through the series, are we expecting our ones to know Jesus? Or is this just some exercise we do because we're supposed to? What is our expectation? We all live with expectation. In fact, all of you had expectations coming here this morning. You drove here expecting there to be a service at 10 o'clock. There was. You also came here expecting to sit in chairs that would hold you. So far, they're doing a really good job, right? And you also expected us to talk about Jesus, and we have. Now, those three expectations could have been radically changed because the doors could have been closed, the lights turned off because I cancel service, or... The chairs I could have gone through and just cut all the legs and watched you all just slowly collapse to the floor as you sat down. And also, I could have stood up here and shared a message never mentioning Jesus. But who would have let you down? It would have been me, not God. See, so often what we do is we put our expectation out there and we say it's for God, but really we look at the human factor around us, and when humans let us down, we say God has let us down. See, God is faithful. God is consistent. And the friends took their friend to Jesus because they expected him to do something. I remember years ago, probably 15-plus years ago when I was a youth pastor here, is that I sat on the doorstep of a student whose heart had been broken. Just people all around the student had let them down. And I remember sitting there saying, Yep, this person has let you down, this person has let you down, and you know what? Someday I'm going to let you down as well. Not because I want to, but because I'm human. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we keep our eyes on God above, God will not fail us. He will not fail us. 
Because what he said, his promises are true. And I think of a passage in 2 Corinthians. It says this, it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, and there's a lot of them, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes us both, excuse me, makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. So God has promised all sorts of things. And Jesus has come and fulfilled those promises. And so he is the one we put our expectancy, our trust in. He is the one who will not fail us. And so it's not about us being, quote, unquote, successful as we pray for our one, as we bring our friends before Jesus. It's us expecting God to do something. Our job is to set people before him in prayer and in proximity and in different things that we do. I love the verse that comes right before the faith chapter in Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39 says this, we belong to those, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. I love it, just saying like, no, that's not us. We're not shrinking back, we're not destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved, that's us. Because our faith is in Jesus Christ. Our faith is in him. But there's something with faith that is hard. And it's this word. It's this word of risk. Right? All faith demands risk. Otherwise, it's not faith. See, when we risk in faith, it's expectancy that, yep, yep, it's this risk. But I would imagine, like it is for me, some of the best things in my life were because of risk. Because I said, all right, I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to trust. And maybe that was following Jesus. Maybe that was a mission trip. Maybe that was asking him or her out. And now you're sitting next to him or her. And there was risk there. Maybe it's about changing schools or jobs or careers. Maybe it's about a move. There's these levels of risk. This level of faith. This level of expectancy that, God, you're doing something in and through this situation. All right. The third word we looked at is the word resolve. So first there was response. They brought their friend to Jesus. There was this readiness. They acted with expectancy. And then there was this resolve. They overcame obstacles. How many people have some level of some obstacle in their way today? With literally anything. Okay. Most of you. All right. I love in this story. Verse 19, it says this, when they could not find a way to do this, get him before Jesus because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and they lowered him and his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now, they knew Jesus was there, so they went and got their friend. They came to the door. And I'm sure one of those friends was like, nah, it's crowded, we tried. We can't get in there. Uh, maybe, maybe this just isn't God's will. But then there was this other friend. We all have this other friend who has crazy ideas and says, let's go up to the roof, let's cut a hole, and let's lower them. Right? There's always that one friend. And so they do this. The obstacle that they thought was a closed door that stood before them, which seems obvious, we cannot get our friend to Jesus. That obstacle that stands before you, whether it's fear or, or proximity or uh, whatever it may be of sharing Jesus. 
There's another way. And we've over-spiritualized the closed-door mentality. We've just somehow said that, well, that's God's will. He closed the door. i got to do something different. There may be truth to that. But like in this story, sometimes when there's a closed door or a blocked door, you've got to dig a hole in a roof. You've got to find another way around. Whatever it takes to put your friend before Jesus. Maybe that's praying more for that friend. Maybe it's asking someone else to pray. Maybe it's investing more time or opportunity. Maybe it's truly caring about them as a person versus just a project. It's overcoming whatever obstacles stand before. And the reason this is important is because, again, God desires that no one would perish. No one would die apart from him. And the reason this is important, because for you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you were that person on the map. And sometimes when we've been healed, when we've met Jesus, we're like, sweet, I'm good. Yeah, other people, they can do whatever. But it's about getting up off that mat, going and finding others, and bringing them before Jesus. Because we've been that person on the mat, and we know how Jesus has transformed our life, how Jesus has changed us. And you've had a friend or multiple friends or people be the ones to carry you to Jesus, right? I'm imagining you didn't just one day wake up and be like, meh, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus now without any sort of other influence, anyone else sharing anything with you. Someone spoke into you, encouraged you, prayed for you, shared Jesus with you, risked with you, and expected God to do something, right? What's for me? So who was that person for you? What was their name? How did they carry you when you were on that map? I wonder if anyone wants to briefly share who that was and how you met Jesus. Anyone? Nick's got a mic. Who was it that shared Jesus with you? They carried you before Jesus. I know there's not a bunch of shy people in this room. There we go. Thanks, Mark. Well, uh, for both my wife and I, it was a Sunday morning service here uh, on uh, February 1st of uh, 1999 with Pastor Gerton. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. Who else? So it started with my mom. I was raised in the Presbyterian Church. And um, I guess when I moved back here, it was Molly Collins who does my hair. <laughs> and we started talking about God, and I started coming here. This is my second time. So I love this church. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. And notice that, yes, it was a pastor for Mark, but he... With Molly, it's, an, it's, a, it's a work environment, a friendship that's developed, right? Do Bible study together. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing. Who else? One or two more. When I was five, a childhood friend invited me to church. I went to Sunday school with her, and it was her family. And I want to encourage you because... 
her mom one day said to me, as a child, said to me, are you going to heaven or hell? And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, you better figure it out. <laughs> this family was very dysfunctional. She had been very wounded. The mother had been very wounded as a young person. And she carried that into her adult life. She was mean to her husband and her son. But she still impacted me hmm. for eternity. Hmm. Your testimony does not have to be perfect to move someone to the kingdom. Amen. Yes. Love it. Thank you. All right. I want you to watch a short clip. We edited this down a little bit. Someone shared this clip with me a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's a clip of Penn Jillette. He's part of the comedy duo, Penn and Teller. And uh, just to briefly set this up, he was after a show doing a meet and greet, and someone came up and uh, greeted him and handed him a Gideon Bible. And I want you to listen uh, to how he processed this and what he thought about this. And don't just listen to his words, but I want you to really watch. Um, so listen to the words, but really watch how he's processing this. So take a look at this. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. I mean, he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible. Proselytize meaning to share faith. How do you respond to that? His thoughts. We have an opportunity to share Jesus with those around us. I'm imagining our ones are someone that we care about, that we love. I mean, we're motivated by love. And he asked a really challenging question in there of how much do we have to hate someone 
to not share something we believe. Think of the words from Jude. Tiny little book near the end of Scripture. It says this. It says, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, so this becoming the disciple, this being empowered by the Spirit of God, which if we follow God, the Spirit is within us. It says, keep yourselves in God's love and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. And while we wait... It says, be merciful to those who doubt and save others by snatching them from the fire. We have an opportunity to share Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of God. And we move with a response to the Word of God, a readiness in our feet, and a resolve that Jesus is going to do the work. We put our friends before Jesus. We do whatever it takes to put our friends before Jesus and allow the Spirit of God to do the work. Let's pray. Gracious God, Lord, you're the one that brings about salvation. Lord, we see in Scripture how Jesus walked this planet, how Jesus went to the cross, how he died on the cross, taking our sin, our shame, our guilt upon himself as a sacrifice. The word says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. This is our access to the Father, to eternity, to salvation. The word also tells us that we can't stay buried, dead, that he rose again. And the word teaches us that if we believe in our heart that he rose from the dead and we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, the word says that we're saved. It's the beginning of a relationship that transforms everything. For you so love the world that you gave your one and only son. Whoever believeth in you shall not perish, but have eternal life. So if there's anyone hearing these words today that have never received your forgiveness, just in this moment, you just quietly before God, you confess sin, confess that you're a sinner, that you've sinned, and that you receive the forgiveness of God right now. So you give your sin and you'd receive Forgiveness of sin. And that in this moment, in your belief, that you would proclaim that Jesus is your Savior and that you want to follow after him as your Lord. And Father, too, in the stillness of this moment, would I pause and for each one of us to pray for our one however you desire for us to pray, that we just pause and pray for our one right now. So Jesus, Lord, we want to be ready 
Lord, we want to move with resolve. We want to respond. So God, this week as we walk, may we be intentional. Lord, I thank you that your spirit empowers us. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to share the hope that we found in you. So Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you. And uh, God, we lift your name high. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.